You're listening to our weekly podcast, Getting in the Word with Stuart Guthrie. Stuart is the teaching pastor of Family Bible Fellowship of Ridgeville in Early Branch, South Carolina. We hope to grow together with you, seeking real knowledge from the truth, the Word of God. Here's Stuart. With all of the topics up for discussion in our day on things like the biblical design for manhood and womanhood, uh, the design of marriage, the gender, gender identity, the topics of sexual immorality, and a host of other related things such as marriage, family, and movements like the LGBTQ movement, and a host of many other ideas that are common in our day that exist, we have to ask the question, did God really say? It's the same framework for which we find in the fall, just packaged differently. If you are reminded of what Genesis says in chapter 3, verse 1, now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which Yahweh God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed has God said, you shall not eat from the tree of any tree of the garden? The question mark. And to that I respond, God has indeed said. All of these complications, all of these discussions, all of these difficulty things that we are up against today, all of these movements that have transpired are trying to ultimately, at the end of the day, reconstruct biblical truth. They're all rooted and the authority, the breakdown of the authority of Scripture. And to that I reply again, God has indeed said. It's the terminology you use, sola scriptura. Sola, the, from the Latin meaning alone, and scriptura, the word meaning writings, referring to the Scriptures alone giving us the authority of what life is about. This Word, Scripture, alone has authority. And what God's Word says should permeate our minds, our hearts, and our actions. So we can suggest that from this phrase, sola scriptura, would suggest that Scripture is full, Scripture is complete, Scripture alone has authority, and it is indeed true. Thus we read verses like 2 Timothy 3.16, For all Scripture is what? Inspired by God. Literally, God breathed. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness, so that the man and woman of God may be what? Adequately equipped for all good works. It's attack against the authority of Scripture, everything in our culture. Now it was Martin Luther, founded the Lutheran Church and the father of the Protestant Reformation, that if you have any recall, was rebuked by the Catholic Church because of his stamps. He was rebuked, and not only was he rebuked, he rebuked the Catholic Church because of their unbiblical teachings. It was in 1517 in which Pope Leo wanted to begin these false teachings of indulgences in which you could pay for your loved ones to be removed out of purgatory and get a fast route into heaven. And so when they were trying to build St. Pete of Rome, they hired a man to go out and to teach the community that their loved ones were in a fire of burning and thus they must give money in order to get them out. It's kind of a great way to raise funds if you have a building project. But of course, that's heretical. And so Martin Luther calls the church out and they threaten Martin Luther with excommunication and ultimately death if he did not recant. He nailed his 95 theses to the door 
which went over many of the heresies that were being taught by the Catholic Church and still many are taught today. But he refused to stop speaking the truth. They wanted to drive fear and to prevent the truth of God's Word from being spoken. Martin Luther said as he replied to the Catholic Church and their threats, he says, and I quote, Unless therefore I am convinced of the testimony of Scripture, or by the clearest reasoning, unless I am persuaded by the Scriptures to which I have appealed, and my conscience is taken captive by God's Word, I cannot and will not recant of anything. For to act against our conscience is neither safe for us nor open to us. Here I stand, I can do no other. May God help me. Amen. The attacks against the authority of Scripture have been an issue and will always be an issue until we see the return of Christ. It is an issue in our day. But God has indeed said, and I think... That is especially an important topic in Scripture because if we stand on the truth of God's Word, the Bible says there will become upon us persecution. And it doesn't take but just a few meanders through the culture in which we live and you stand against the the cultural relevant church today, you will be persecuted in word and in deed and maybe even beat up or killed for your faith. So I suggest we follow the instructions of 2 Timothy 2.15, which says, Be diligent to present yourselves approved to God as a workman who does not need to be ashamed, accurately handling the word of truth. To be diligent to who? Man, no, God. Not the culture, not some movement, not some biblical, heretical, convoluted, gross interpretation of God's Word, but rather be approved by God alone. That's the encouragement for the Christian. It's to stand up for the truth of God's Word, whether it offends somebody or not, whether it's politically correct or unpolitically correct. And so we're going to talk about this portion of Scripture for which Brian reminded me there's enough information here to get three sermons out of. But I think taking it in a whole is very helpful for us as we deal. So turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter 1, verse 18 starting. And I want us to consider three points, three areas for which we're going to address in this portion of Scripture. Number one, I want you to see the character. Number two, the compromise. And number three, the consequence. Let's drive into the character first. He begins in verse 18 by saying, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. There's two characters for which we see within the text. Number one is the character of God, and number two, the character of man character of man is what we find of those who are unrighteous. And those who are unrighteous listen, which is important because I don't care if we claim to be of Christ, if we do these acts, we fit the bill of an unrighteous character, and that is those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. When you cut an onion, it gets in your eyes and you start crying. So they come up with methods, stick it under the water and cut it. Why? Because you want to suppress the effects that the onion has on your eyes. And so you try to push it down, get it away so that it doesn't bother you. That is the very definition of unrighteousness, of men who suppress the Word of God and those things which God establishes as good and truth, and they try to submerge them in their ways. That's the character of men. Psalm 51.5 says it this way, you were born into iniquity. Every single one of us share equally these lifestyles at some point or another before we come to know Christ. But then there's also the character of God, which I believe to be vitally important. One of the main arguments for which we encounter when we're dealing with the topics of things like biblical sexuality, the ideas of the world, is that our idea of God does not project 
a loving God, a characteristic of a loving God. But if we can be frankly honest for a moment and admit that, yes, while God exemplifies the characteristic of love, He also exemplifies the characteristic of wrath. Now, we talk about God's wrath in this church and sin often, but in most churches that are meeting this morning across the globe, they do not offend the body of Christ with topics like sin and the wrath of God. They won't talk about it. And they're busting out of the seams. And their annual budgets are huge. And their ministries are enormous. And, and the congregations are like stadiums. Yet, they don't talk about this characteristic of God. Wrath. You see, we don't get to pick and choose the characters of God. They, they kind of come with Him. They are what they are. And the wrath of God is not just simply taught in the Bible, but what we find is that it is a prominent topic in the Scriptures. A.W. Pink in his book calls attention to this when he says, a study of the concordance will show that there are more references in Scripture to the anger, fury, and wrath of God than there are His love and His tenderness. If the majority of Scripture, and if you read the Old Testament for just a minute, you're going to see the wrath of God. And if it's important enough to be written throughout the pages of Scripture, then it is certainly sufficient enough to preach it from the pulpit. But if the Word of God is not being preached from the pulpit, and you're choosing 52 topics to deal with that aren't controversial, that simply pat you on the bat, send you out the door and say, go do good and make sure you bring some friends so we can all be happy and hunky-dory and we never talk about sin and we never talk about those characteristics of God for which we are certainly able to see in the Scriptures, then we've missed it. So I find it acceptable at this point in the text to understand and reveal the reality of God's wrathfulness. It's a right and just manner because God's wrath is revealed from heaven, the text says, against all ungodliness, some all ungodliness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And so to agree or to support that which is untrue or against the Scriptures and to suppress that truth in unrighteousness, thus is to be considered unrighteous. The character of a sinful person is one who suppresses that truth and unrighteousness. Now, now, here's the catch. I think we all agree that, that that's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness is in the video we watch, just watched. But here's how our human mind works. Here's how depraved we are. We, we make that a main topic. When here's the deal. If we suppress any truth and unrighteousness, What little bitty sins in our lives have we justified? What disobedience to parents? Is that okay? Lying to our bosses, lying to our spouses, having an emotional relationship with a man or a woman when you're married, is, is that okay? I mean, we didn't kiss, we didn't touch, we didn't do anything sensual, but there's an emotional relationship which is hidden behind the door and only God can see. Is that okay? What have we called in our culture okay when God's Word said it's wrong, that it's sinful? It's easy to apply it to the big things, but it's the small things that we have considered small sins that in the eyes of God, sin is sin. The wages of sin is death. My friends, death. I hate my sin. My sin that creeps at the door, that, that knocks, that wants to get in, and sometimes I fail and I fall into my anger or I fall into lust or I fall into whatever it is. Listen, it will always result in death, even for the most godly person. So don't think that for a moment you can suppress the truth of God's Word and still be living out a good life as a Christian. 
The character of a sinful person is one who suppresses the truth in unrighteousness. Romans 1.18 defines that there is a reality of unrighteousness and godliness, which purposes that there is righteousness and also godliness. It presupposes this. So what's the difference? So please excuse me and excuse you and any other believer who is going to stand on the truth of God's Word and not accept a lifestyle or a habitual sin for which the Bible condones. Forgive me if I'm unwilling to say that this is godly when God says it's ungodly. Excuse me if I'm not willing to say this is evil when God says the opposite. No, no, no. We call good, good, and evil, evil, and there is no line between the two. There is no gray areas. We have to call it what it is. But the fight is against the authority of Scripture in our word. Has God said? Of course He has indeed said. The character of God is consistent. And has been throughout the Scriptures. God's wrath has, listen, been revealed throughout the Word of God. We've seen His wrath in the pouring out of the flood. In which He killed all humanity but eight. You don't want to talk about the wrath of God. You don't want to talk about the loving, kind, good God who loves you and, and, and just oochie-goochie. He killed all but eight. <laughs> this is the same God that we worship. But you know what the problem is? Is we've made God to be like us. We've made God to be like us. He is a wrathful God. He don't play games. And yet we play sinful games all the time. Oh, we're all going to sin. We're all going to fall short of the glory of God. I get that. That's why we are called to repent daily and, and go after Him. We see God's wrath poured out on Sodom and Gomorrah in which He rained down fire from heaven. I mean, think about that. That's a big deal. That's, that's not an illustration. That's not typology. Real fire and brimstone from the heavens destroying Sodom and Gomorrah. How about the ten plagues of Egypt? With the final being the death angel. Not only has God's wrath been revealed over and over and over, has it not only been proven in the Old Testament, but God's wrath has also been predicted in the New Testament. Doesn't mean the wrath of God is not revealed in the now. The Greek word here translated revealed is in the present tense. It's in the now. It doesn't mean there isn't some future wrath for which we know that will be true as well. There is a future wrath that God will pour out on all of humanity that has not believed and trusted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, in this church, we believe in a pre-tribulation rapture in which we teach that the saints will be called out before the tribulation period. Now, you may agree to disagree with that. That's your problem. That's what we teach at this church. But there will come a retribution in which God says in 2 Thessalonians 1 and 8, and He will be dealing out retribution to those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. These, He says, will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of His power. Oh, there's a wrath coming, my friends. And there is a wrath in the present. There is a wrath in the past, a wrath in the present, and a wrath in the future. The character of God is wrath. And the very act of wrath is justice. And therefore loving. It doesn't seem loving if you're on the receiving side of God's wrath. Think about all those Christians that have been persecuted. We live in our comfortable little 
AC-filled churches. Nobody's coming up in here typically shooting us up for preaching the gospel. There's really nobody who has hindered you. As a matter of fact, I, I've seen many people not in church this morning out fishing, out playing. There's no persecution at all, really. We can just come in freely. We can talk about Jesus. We can, at this point, post videos like this and call it sin, call it what it is. But that isn't always the case for every Christian across the globe. What about those that have been hung, killed, crucified because of their stance for the gospel? Oh, they mock God. Is not God going to give them their due penalty? Of course He is. He tells us that He is going to pour out His wrath. Because He will, we shouldn't try to take things in our own hands. And that's why Romans reminds us, never pay back evil to evil for anyone. But rather, respecting what is good in the sight of all men, if possible as you, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. For never taking revenge, your own revenge, beloved. But He says, instead leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, what? Vengeance is mine, God says. I will repay. Doesn't mean we can't tell people that the wrath of God is coming. We are not to implement our wrath onto them because I can promise you my wrath against someone is not going to be just. God's is. God's is. So we need to understand that Yes, God is love. Yes, God is mercy. God is compassion. But when it comes to unrighteousness, when it comes to habitual living a life of sin, when it comes to ungodliness and, and sinful lifestyles, God is a righteous judge. He is a righteous judge who will pour out His wrath on the ungodly. And so He specifically in the text of 118 of those who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. For the wrath of God, again, is revealed against, from heaven against all ungodliness. Not, not just the big things, all ungodliness. And unrighteousness of those who suppress the truth. It's one thing to admit that you've sinned. It's another thing to suppress it. Say, well, everybody's doing it in the culture. Say, That's okay. I mean, this guy just said, it's, uh, you know, God is gay. He, he's trans. A matter of fact, you are God. And God is you. Just do whatever you want. It, it, it makes no logical sense. That, that's suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. The point is, is that a claim is made for truth which is denied in practice. They know it to be true, but in their unrighteousness they have tried to suppress it and hold it down. Why? Because it says that which is known about God in verse 19 is what? Evident to them. It's evident within them. The character of God is goodness. Here's a reason why. Because God has given them common grace. God has given every single person in the world, believer and unbeliever, common graves. He says in verse 19, because that which is known about God is evident within them. God has poured out His common grace on the just and the unjust, the believer and the unbeliever. Now we know that God has written the law on the hearts of mankind. Look over at Romans chapter 2, verse 12 to 16. Romans 2. For all have sinned without the law, but all shall perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearer of the law who are just before God, but the doer of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles do not have the law, do instinctively the things of the law, these, not having the law, are a law unto themselves. And that they show the work of the law, what? Written in their hearts. Their conscience bearing witness. And their thoughts. God has written right and wrong on the heart of all of humanity. 
Some see it, some deny it. Some hear it and suppress it. Some hear it, see it, and repent of it. We just have to start by being honest with what it is. If God calls it a sin, it's a sin. We don't get to choose. The reason is they know that it's wrong. And the reason we know and they know that it is wrong because God has made it evident within them. But in this case, it's been made evident to them through His living and active Word. Yes, there is an internal knowledge of sin, but then there is the special revelation, the written, written revealed Word of God that, that confirms it to us. That's why Paul finishes with this text in the end of chapter or verse 19, for God made it evident to them. And then he says in verse 20, for since the creation of the world is invisible attributes, both his divine eternal power and divine nature have clearly been seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are what? They are without excuse. There is no excuse. You ain't going to get to heaven's door and go, I didn't know. No, you knew. Why? Because God has revealed to you through His creation that He exists. The heavens what? Declare the glory of God. You can deny all you would like that there is no created order. You can deny the fact that God made man and woman in creation and called it good. You can deny that sex before marriage is a sin. You can deny that living together outside of marriage isn't sin. You can deny anything outside of one man, one woman being married and committed for a lifetime is God's created order. You can deny that God designs you as male and or as a female. You can deny that homosexuality is a sin. You can suppress the truth in just about any unrighteousness, all you would like. That's your freedom. But there is a consequence, my friend. The wrath of God will be against you. Because God has indeed said. He said in Genesis 1.27, And God created man in His own image, and in the image of God He created male and female. He created them. That doesn't mean you are God. It's a gross interpretation of the Word of God. He said in Genesis 1.24, Man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. God has indeed said. He said in 1 Corinthians 7, 2 and 3, Because of sexual moralities, each man is to have his own wife, each woman is to have her own husband. Is there any confusion there? I mean, in the English language, it's very clear. In the Greek, it's really, really clear. The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise also the wife to her husband. God has indeed said. God created marriage, which he defines as a lifelong exclusive covenant of one man, one woman. I don't care what the culture spews out of their mouth. It ain't from the Bible. He says in Leviticus 18.22, You shall not lie with a male as one lies with a female. It's an abomination. Is that confusing or is that? I mean, my kids are just learning to read and I think they can understand that. It says in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived that neither sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminates, nor homosexual will inherit the kingdom. Is this a serious problem? Of course it is. It's dangerous. And when you hear something like that, it break your heart. Because some poor person who is struggling with their sin gives their attention to a person standing in front of them, opening their Bible, whatever translation they get it from, I don't know, it ain't the NASB, and they believe them. They're being deceived. And here in our text this morning, we're reminded as well that this isn't honoring to God, but it is a sin. And he says in verse 26 of Romans 1, For this reason God gave them over to His dishonorable passions. For their females exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. 
Now, the, the liberal scholars will say, well, they were born gay, therefore it is unnatural if you were born that way to have relations with someone of the opposite sex. You see the perversion and how twisting of God's Word is. Listen, my friends, God has indeed said, He's very clear, He hates sin. He hates sin so much that He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on our behalf. You think He hates sin? Yes, He sacrificed His only begotten Son because of sin. And Jesus willingly sufficiently, obediently went. Listen, I understand the struggle of sin. We all have it. Your sin tendencies are not my sin tendencies, but we all have sin tendencies. I mean, some would say, well, a murderer, he was born that way. A trans person, oh, they're born that way. Let, let me, let me, we're all born that way. The Bible says in Psalm 59, we were born into iniquity. That's why the Bible says in John, when speaking, he says, you must be born again. Because there is an old nature that is sinful, stained, separated, and enmity with God. And then there is a new nature where you are redeemed, you are forgiven, you, you are a new creation in Christ. The old things what have passed away and behold, the new have come. There is a change. doesn't mean that there isn't a struggle, but you are no longer a slave to that sin. Yeah, we were all born sinful, some born murderers. But we would never say it's okay to murder. We were all born into sin, some into lust, and therefore addicted to pornography. But we would never say, oh, it's okay to be addicted to pornography. You were born that way. We cannot justify our sin. That is suppressing the truth in unrighteousness. I understand the struggles. Your sin tendencies are not mine. But we don't have the right to abandon the authority of Scripture so that we can do what our wicked heart desires. God will pour out His wrath because His character is wrath. He will, he will handle sin justly. For since the creation of the world, verse 20, His invisible attributes, His divine, His eternal power and His divine nature have, have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so they were without excuse. You can suppress the truth all you want, but my friends, you will be without excuse. I will be able to. I'm no different than you. I'm not greater than you. I'm not more holy than you. I, I, I have temptations and, and things just like you do. But if you are like me, you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. You are indeed a new creation in Christ. And you're what Galatians, Paul says that, that Christ lives in me. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives through me. And so when I have those tendencies and those desires and I fail, I need to be reminded that my sin has been paid for past, present, and future. And, and I have to walk daily in repentance and ask God to forgive me for my wickedness. We can't just justify and suppress it. We have to be open and honest about it. You see, we have, we have all of these legalist churches that, that make legalism such a high priority that people are scared to be honest about their sin. We have to be honest about sin. We have to talk about our sin. Wednesday nights we sit around in a circle and we don't just sing kumbaya. We talk about our own sin. We talk about our own struggles. When that person doesn't pay their bills, when, when that person cuts you off, we've heard the stories. We, we, we are tempted daily. We can't just deny it. He, he, he says, if that is the case, we are like without excuses. You can blame it on whatever you want, but there is no excuse. God will indeed pour out His wrath and justice and you, like everybody else, has the opportunity to repent of your sin and turn back to God. And God will, through His grace and mercy of the Son, Jesus Christ, 
save you and indwell you with His Spirit and convict your heart. When you're living under the convictions and you do things, God convicts your heart. And if you have never trusted in Christ, believed in the gospel, put your faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, you are not indwelt in the Spirit of God. Thus you can live in sin and not have conviction. You don't get to choose what sin is. God determines that, and the Spirit convicts us when we live in that. That's the beauty of the gospel. Now, we don't have the right to redefine Christianity, but I can promise you that is what's happened in our day. Just because someone says they're a Christian and believes in Jesus, buddy, you better, like, push. What do you mean? What is because their culture has def, has created a new genre of Christianity that tells you you can have your best life now. And not only do they tell you that, they write it in a book and they sell millions of copies. But if this is our best life on this side of heaven, I don't want to go to heaven. I'm looking forward. To eternity with Christ. So we can suppress the truth, but we are without excuse. In case we've forgotten this morning, the wages of sin is death. And you say, well, I don't know how that can take place in a church. Well, you remember Revelation chapter 2, verse 18 to 23? Turn over there, if you will. If you don't have your Bibles, I pray you bring them, but there's some slides up here that'll walk you through it. I think we, I love PowerPoint. They're certainly a blessing, but we don't, we don't flip through our Bibles enough, and therefore the problem is, is we don't know our Bibles. Like, just the order of our Bible. Where, where's Romans? Where's, you know, 1 Thessalonians? Where's Hebrews? Where's Revelation? Well, if you're not familiar with Revelation, it's, that's okay. It's a learning process at the very end of your New Testament. He says in verse 18, And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, The Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire, and His feet are like the burnished bronze, it says this. Sounds like a mean dude. I know your deeds. See, God's all-knowing. Not only do I know your deeds, I, your love and faith and service and perseverance, and that your deeds are of late are greater than the first. There's hope, there's growth, there's, there's faith, there's love, there's transparency, there's goodness. But verse 20, that three-letter word, but that always gets in the way, but I have this against you. And what is it? that you tolerate the woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and she teaches and leads my bondservants astray so that they commit acts of immorality and eat things, sacrifice to idols. Listen to what 21 says. I gave her time to repent. And she did not want to repent of her immorality. I wonder how many this morning have been living in habitual sin and God has given you time to repent. And yet you haven't. You just habitually become... Actually, it's become numbing. You don't even, you don't even deem it sin anymore. It's just become, ah, it's okay. I mean, that's, that's a slow decline, isn't it? I mean... It, you don't watch the river erode. I don't, I, you know, I've been places where people live on a bluff and, and you go back 10 years later and you're like, where'd the bluff go? It didn't just gone overnight. It was a slow erosion. That's what happens in the Christian life. And so we have to have markers in place to, so that we can see and we can keep correcting the erosion and we can put up walls and blocks to prevent it from eroding. But if we don't ever do those things in our own life, what we'll find is that in a year to five years, the eroding process has completely eroded our faith. And, and that which we knew as sin has now become normal. 
They gave her time to repent and she didn't repent of her immorality. Behold, I will throw her on a bed of sickness and those who commit adultery with her into great tribulation unless they repent of her deeds. And I will kill her children with pestilence. And all the churches will know that I am he, that he who searches the, heart, the mind and the hearts and I will give to each one according to your deeds. You see, God defines sin. And God will punish those who suppress the truth and unrighteousness because God's wrath is character. His character is wrath. It is indeed a justful wrath, but nonetheless wrathful. Flip back over to Romans 1. We've seen the character that God is a God of wrath, that man is in need of repentance. But notice, if you will, secondly, the compromise. They have simply made a decision to reject God. He says in verse 21, For they, though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God or give thanks, but they have became futile in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the likeness or corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. They have compromised against God and His Word and His standard. And even though they knew God, how? Because He had stitched it into the fabric of the human mind and, and His existence and power so that they, are, they automatically recognize when one views the created world. And yet, even though they recognized His existence, His eternal power, the text says they did not glorify God. Or they did not give Him thanks. Rather, they mocked His character. They mocked His creation. And they're not satisfied with the way God made them. And thus we see a picture of the last days when men will be lovers of self. God designed you. Listen perfectly, my friend, the way you were designed. And He created you for a creative purpose. Men, God has designed you to be the protector and provider and to be the spiritual leader of your homes. And here's the sad truth. Many have advocated that responsibility. I mean, unfortunately, I get direct messages and emails, not necessarily from people in our church, but I get everybody else's. of wives that are living in homes, of men advocating their responsibility is devastating. We must be the men that God created us to be, to maintain the responsibilities and to take care of our families in more ways than just providing a paycheck. Here's the deal. The government can provide for your family. That doesn't make them a father to your children. Now, are we perfect in being our dads? No, I mean, I'm not a perfect father. I'm learning, I'm growing, I get encouraged by watching those who have been down the roads that I'm just walking in. But the reality is, is God has given men responsibilities, and many of them are advocating their responsibilities. Some are sitting at home, watching this sermon some weeks later, and you've failed to go to church, you didn't even take your family to worship God, and you expect your children just to show up to church one day and make it a priority when you haven't? Come on, man. This is man to man. Don't kid yourself. Because here's the real deal. You can take them to church every day, every Sunday, and the odds are still against them. So why sell it short? Make it a priority. Lead them. Tell them when they're wrong. Don't pat them on the back in their sin and say it's okay. They may be offended. That's okay. My children know that I'm not their friend. I'm their father. And as their father, I love them. And as a father, I'm going to tell them right from wrong. And I'm going to hold them accountable. And they're going to hold me accountable. Which they do. My children don't mind telling me when they see something wrong in my life. That's good. I need it. 
We got men running around acting like women, dressing like prostitutes, emasculated men. If we told them they can't be a man, and I mean, gee whiz, the commercials. Every man's an idiot. That they don't even buy cars for their wives anymore. Now the wives are buying boats and cars for the husbands. They're, they're, they're staying home changing diapers. There's nothing wrong with changing a baby's diaper unless you're like me. You're going to throw up all over them. I can't deal with it. No, can't deal with it. But you get my point. We laugh, it's funny, but it, there's a reality. We're living in a different world in which men are being trained to be women. Listen, God designed it specifically, and it's good. And it might not be the way you've done it, and the, you will reap the consequences of it. But there's hope. There's hope. The world has flipped the Scriptures on their head. And there are many churches buying to it. It's time to step up and start glorifying God. Many pastors are scared to death to tell men they're failing to lead in the way God has called them to lead. I love you way too much. I mean, lead, tell your kids. I don't care how old they are. If they're not in church, call them. Say, you ought to be in church, pal. Don't claim to be Christ, and if you're out advocating your responsibility, lead your family. My kids know. They're young right now. They're going to get out sooner or later. Let them be parked at the house on Sunday morning. They ain't got to go to my church where I pastor. But you better bet I'm going to get a phone call. You in church? No, you're wrong. You ought to be in church today. I love you, but you ought to be in church today. Now, they, I might drive them away, but I'm going to drive them away telling them they need to be in church because I love them. We ought to do the same for our children. When they're wrong, tell them they're wrong. They won't always like you. That's okay. My kids don't always like me, and they're still in my house. Sometimes they close the door. That don't happen but once till it comes off the hinges. You want to slam a door? Off the hinges. You ain't getting no door. This is my house. Right? We're going to go by my rules. When you get 18, 19, 20, whenever you feel like you a grown woman or a grown man, don't let the door hit you in the butt. But you in my house, you're going to operate off of me and your mama's rules. I love you, but it is what it is. And sometimes it's time for them to go. And that's okay. They, you raise them, they godly men, they love Jesus, you just don't get along. That's a golden. Go be a man. I remember my dad one day, I told him, I'm, a, I'm leaving. I'm getting up out of here. All right, boy, go ahead then. I got my clothes out the, out the closet, the hangers, his, his hangers, by the way. I got all my clothes, and I went and I put them in my truck, and he said, all right, go home. Where, where you going? I'm leaving. All right, then, where, where you going with that vehicle? I'm leaving. Now, that ain't your vehicle. That's my vehicle. I got my clothes out of the vehicle. And I went back and put them back in his closet on his hangers. And I said, you're right. I ain't going nowhere. <laughs> right? Sometimes we can't be friends. Doesn't mean we don't love each other. But I can tell you what ain't loving is to fail and advocate your responsibility to tell your children when they're wrong and to kick them out when they get old enough to start impacting your younger kids. Because I think we're missing it in this culture. How much influence older siblings have on younger siblings. Again, it's time to leave, son. Because you ain't going to be in my house. Daughter, you ain't going to be in my house. And my kids, who are young, think it's okay to act like that. No, not, ain't happening. See you. I love you. I, I, I'm going to give you the car. I'm going to give you the first three months of rent. But you you going out of here. Because that's loving. Not only for you and your wife, but for the rest of your children. But, hey, listen, that's the men. But what about the ladies? I am trying to get all up on the men. But I think men have a great responsibility. God has given us a great responsibility. But ladies, you ought to as well. 
Glorify God. Give Him thanks for making you who He's made you to be. And there is no, I don't care what the world says, I don't care what they sell you, I don't care what they tell you, there is no greater role than woman in our culture. There's no more important role than a woman in our culture. A woman who honors God and fulfills their roles that God has called them to. Notice the progression. God did not glorify. They did not glorify God or give Him thanks, but they became futile and their their hearts were darkened. Many have bought a lie. They've been sold a, a bill of goods. And you've allowed the enemy to invade your ears and your mind. And now they dominate the terrain. And that's why in Romans 12, 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may approve what the will of God is, that which is good, acceptable, and pleasing. But their hearts are darkened, the text says. It says in verse 22, Professing to be wise, they became fools. They are blinded by the reality that they have rejected the truth of God for a lie. And their hearts were darkened. They became fools. In verse 23, they exchanged the glory of incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man. We worship men these days, don't we? Don't worship me. I'm just a man up here opening the text. I might die tomorrow and you're left with whoever's in here. Don't go out and start worshiping men. Because if you worship men, they will let you down. They will fail. I will fail you at some point. And if you worship man, you, this is just as wicked as worshiping a, a golden calf. They have exchanged the sovereign God for a false God. And it's breathtaking. The fool would rather, rather worship a false teacher and believe the lies, then, then have them encourage you in your intentional sin. Somebody said, well, Pastor, I feel so bad for those people. I don't feel bad for those people. I feel bad for the teacher. He's going to give an account. But I don't feel bad for the people who are sitting in that going, Amen, hey. No, no, you know why I'm not, I'm not upset or feel bad for them? Because they are getting just what they want. They are getting just what they want. They want their ears tickled. They've denied the truth in unrighteousness. And they've suppressed it. And they're getting just what they want. They've exchanged the incorruptible God for corruptible man. Isn't this stunning? Listen, this moral and spiritual decline from... Idols shaped, and whether it be human speakers, preachers, pastors, figures, athletes, whatever it is, worshipped as gods. Images of beasts, even to creeping things, it ultimately shows the debased mind gravitates ultimately to the lowest form, to even the creeping things. You are God. Everything's God. I I had that on my Facebook this week. God speaks. He speaks through everything. Through the birds. If you just listen. Even the creeping things. It's all God. No, it's a bug. Created by God. And here's the pitch. The bug busters are going to come to your house and kill them. Does worshiping these things benefit us at all? Of course not. It was Luther noted four stages or steps to the perversion. Number one, it's ingratitude. Number two, it's vanity. Number three, it's blindness. And number four, it's total departure from God. Total departure from God. And some of this stuff you cannot even make up. It's just so 
foolish and they think they're wise and yet they just become absolutely foolish. So don't compromise the truth and suppress it. Learn to love the truth and, and, and acknowledge the sin because it's the truth, my friend, that will set you free. We looked at the character, the compromise, and thirdly, I want you to see the, the consequence. We stated at the beginning, the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and in the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. And because there has been a rejection, because there has been a compromise, there is always a consequence. There was a consequence of sin in the Old Testament. There is a consequence in the, sin of, in the New Testament. There is a consequence for sin and the rejection of God and His Word in today. But if you notice uh, the current threat due to the compromise, Paul says in verse 24, Therefore God gave them over to the lust of their hearts and impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. There is only one way that a man can get to this point where they can stand in front of people. Listen, we can disagree theologically and still love one another. That's a, that's a reality. I get that. But there's only one way to get to the point where you can make the claims that this man made in this video, and that is that you are watching the very unfolding of a depraved mind. God giving them over to a depraved mind. Therefore, God gave them over in the lust of their hearts. It was what they desired. And so God, in their desire, gave them what they wanted so that their bodies would be dishonored. Listen, one of the ways in which God delivers His current, present wrath is that He can turn you over to the lust of your hearts. You want to keep living in sin. You want to keep living, justifying it. He'll give you what you want. And the consequences will be absolutely horrendous. You'll pay the consequence. And it's devastating. I, I feel bad for the consequences that many deal with because of their unwillingness to submit to God. You see, God allows sin to run its course as an act of judgment. God's wrath was mentioned in Romans 1 not as an act of outpouring of divine displeasure, but a removal of restraint that allows the sinner to, to reap the just fruits of rebellion. Have you ever met a Christian who was in church leading prayer for years? I've, I've had dinner with these folks. Respected them. But all the while in the background, behind the scenes, living a habitual life of sin. Turns around. Has an affair on the spouse. And walks away as to never have been in the church before. And we say, wow. There is the consequence of being turned over that is devastating. Oh, they exchanged, verse 25, the truth of God for a lie, and they worship and serve the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever, amen. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions. He is now going to describe to, to, to you and, and everybody listening very clear what is considered dishonorable passion. You can deny it, but God has indeed said it. And here he says, For their women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. That, my friends, is, is, is the ever-arching reality of men being with men and women being with women. Homosexuality, call it whatever you want. It's not natural. God designed a man and a woman. Everything in our world logically is male and female. Go plug a female end into a socket in the wall. It don't work. Why? Because it ain't designed that way. In every aspect of life, from beginning to end, there is a purpose for which God has created 
And here we find the unnatural functions of those. And in the same way, also men abandoned the natural function of, of the women and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of error. we got kids here. We don't need to go into details, but I think you smartened up to read reading lines. Any act against the order for which God has created is inappropriate. I don't care if it's in the family, if it's the way you raise your children, if it's in your sex life. It, if it, it's, God has a created order and it is perfect the way He created it. I didn't say there wouldn't be struggles and difficulties and we need to meet people where they are with grace and mercy, but there is a reality in our culture in which there is people teaching absolutely contrary to what I'm saying in the pulpit. So we have to be open and honest about it. The due penalty is the turning over. And in Romans 1.28 it says, And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. They just, they, they don't, it's not even a problem for them anymore. It's natural now. It, it, matter of fact, it would become unnatural to go back to a normal lifestyle. Now, again, you can't narrow this thing down to one topic of homosexuality. There's certainly, obviously, contextual realities of that. But not most, most people don't struggle with that. So what sins have you justified that God has given you over to those? They're devastating, whatever they are, because the wages of sin is always death. And the results, verse 29, being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, grieve, evil, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedience to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. Welcome to 2023. We are watching in our very culture the turning over to a depraved mind which will result in every one of these. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing. He's unfolding the, the current judgment that brings about everything that is against the nature and the character of God's goodness. And people are people who... who who want what they are doing to, to no longer be a problem has become a reality. Paul describes the practice as shameful, unnatural, indecent, and as a perversion. I mean, just recently, a hockey player failed to dress up in a rainbow uh, outfit to uh, support the LGBTQ movement as the rest of the team did. And boy, he got beat up pretty good for that. Because his religion, he didn't want to go against his faith. But praise the Lord, we have people still standing up against tyranny. And every one of his jerseys sold out. You can't even get one. And although they knew the ordinance of God the standards, the rules of God, verse 32, they realize they are wrong. And the people in view are those who practice the evil dis described in the previous verses in the text. says that those who practice such things are worthy of death. I plead for you to hear the wages of sin is death, my friends. Stop letting some progressive false teacher tell you what God calls sin is not sin. Woe to he that calls evil good and good evil, Isaiah 5.20. And then in verse 32, And though they knew the ordinances of God, those that practice such things are worthy of death. They not only do the same, but they give hearty approval to those who practice them. It's one thing to fall in sin in the moment, in the passion, falling into your own sexual perversion, but it becomes another thing when you fall and you are turned over and then you say it's a good thing.
you condone it. You applaud it. Listen, if these, if we, not these, we have to personally apply it to our lives. If we are to escape the wrath of God, then we must repent, my friends. Repent and trust in the one who has bore our sin on Calvary's cross. Because those who reject God's provision for forgiveness and salvation will certainly face the outpouring of God's divine wrath and justice. And the judgment far is far greater than man has ever seen before. Those who choose to reject the sacrifice of Christ for their sins will be judged according to their works. He has indeed said. So, we will not bow the knee and give hearty approval to sinful lifestyles, sinful behavior at all. We hold one another accountable in love and mercy and grace. And I, I pray you will never submit to a confused culture and approve a sinful lifestyle that God calls evil. Oh, we will love, but that word is completely subjective in our day. We will love based on what Scripture calls love. We will show grace based upon how Scripture calls us to show grace. We will show mercy how Scripture calls us to show mercy. But we will never accept sin as a lifestyle. Because God has indeed said, we are all sinful in need of a Savior. And He, God the Father, has granted us the gift of salvation to those who would confess their sins and believe the gospel of Jesus Christ and be saved, that you can receive this new nature, that you can be positionally sanctified, declared right, justified before God, deemed holy and righteous in the eyes of God, and no longer a slave again of sin, but a rather righteousness. And you will be set free. And so today I would call you to repent. Believe that no matter what you've done, and or how bad it's been or how long it's been, that you can be saved, redeemed, and forgiven by the grace of Jesus Christ. And the same God of grace is again the same God that will pour out His judgment on unrepented sinners. So what, what are you waiting on today? Repent. Believe the gospel. For God has indeed said, let's pray. This has been Getting in the Word with Pastor Stuart Guthrie. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. And be sure to visit us online at familybiblefellowship.org. And come see us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m.